Hey, Fedheads. Welcome back to another episode of Sharing Our Pairings. Sorry about the delay there. Uh, Dennis, as usual, is having some technology <laughs> problems. But the damn yeah, Russians. That's, that's what always happens around here. Uh, so, of course, we're Sharing Your Pairings. I'm your host, Trip. here with my co-host, Dennis. We are broadcast live on Facebook, around the world on the Armed Forces Radio Network, uh, and, of course, available on your favorite podcast catcher or uh, the old YouTubes. So tonight... Um, so we announced yesterday, yesterday, or did we announce it on Monday? I think we announced it, it was, on Monday. Was it Monday? Yeah, it probably I don't was. Remember. Uh, this week has been a haze. <laughs> um, yeah, I know. So we announced the winner of March Madness, which we're going to talk about more tomorrow night on Cigar Chat. Uh, we're going to have kind of a sort of a recap episode, hangout episode. Uh, we had a uh, we had a guest booked, and unfortunately, they had to reschedule, but they'll be back. Um, so tomorrow night we'll be talking more about Cigar March Madness, but the winner of Cigar March Madness was the uh, Black Label Trading Company Boondock Saint. Actually, I think it's a Blackworks studio, Boondock Saint. Um, and kind of in honor of that, I mean, we we had this on the schedule anyway. Um, we just chose, yeah, we just chose this week for it. But we've got the SNR also from Blackworks Studio. If my camera would be kind and focused for me. Give the old hand. There we go. Um, this is like a really classy looking band and a very weird thing. So it's got the serpent there. The SNR stands for Serpents and Rainbows, which I'll get to in a minute. Um, and then let me see if I can figure out how to do this in a mirror image. We've got yeah. the rainbows like hiding back there. A little um, hidden rainbow. I have to assume that's intentional, but it's an interesting choice to hide it back there. It's kind of cool. Um, yeah, I think it's kind of kind of neat. Um, so we're smoking the Lancero Vitella of this, uh, for the, sorry, I'm kind of rambling cause I'm trying to find my notes here. Uh, the Lancero is a six and three quarter by 42, um, which I mean, I'm sorry, James, but that's not a Lancero to me. <laughs> uh, I, I would call that a Lonsdale like, and I, I love, this is actually my favorite size, like six and three quarter by 42 is my jam. Um, but I, it's weird. It's a weird size because it's kind of in between a Lonsdale and a, a proper Lancero. Um, but it's interesting that, like, I feel like if you shorten a Lancero, it's still a Lancero. Or if you make it wider, it's still a Lancero. But if you shorten it and make it, make it wider, it becomes a Lonsdale. But, you know, do what you do. There's no... Oh, see, and John's saying he's calling it a Corona. So that that's actually a great oh. point. So uh, Interesting. This could be a Corona Extra for sure, because um, it is a little fatter than your or a little thinner than your typical Lonsdale. Um, but it's kind of in between Lonsdale and Lancero territory. And Corona Extra is is the right uh, Vitola name for it, I guess. The right the correct moniker. Um, I feel I feel very strongly that we should regulate names or not not regulate. I don't want to. I don't want to put any more regulation in here than <laughs> no, we need, or than we already all. are running into. But I think we should formalize the Vitola names a little bit and go off of like officially, it's whatever it is based on the ring gauge, because the ring gauge is the key to pretty much every Vitola, and some of them can have a little play. Like a Robusto is like a fifty to fifty-two, or a Toro could be fifty to fifty-two. But like certain sizes for me, like Churchill, Churchill's got to be forty-eight or forty-nine. No. Nothing else. That's all that yeah. works out. Um, but, you know, I'm not going to rant about that all night. We're here to talk about the cigar, not not rag on James for naming it wrong. <laughs> um, so and a really interesting thing about this. So the reason that this is in the Blackworks line instead of the uh, 
the uh, Black Label Trading Company line is because it's kind of on the milder side of what they do. And then as with all of the stuff that's in the Blackworks name, it has like a little a little twist that that makes it a little harder to make. You know, some of them have the barber pole kind of style. Some of them have, uh, you know, a different foot or different cap or something like that. This one has maybe the best looking like pigtail cap I've ever it's seen. It's tight, right? It's like a tiny, tiny cinnamon bun. But uh, if you think about it too, right, it's almost like a coiled up snake. That's what I get. That's the impression oh, that I get from it. You're right about that. Um, and it's hard to tell with the size of my fingers in the camera here. But this is the, like, so you everybody knows they, they make that by either twisting the tobacco or by uh, using, like, a, a vein to do that sort of thing. This one, it looks like they twist it. But it's thinner than any other little cinnamon bun cap I've ever seen. I don't, I don't know exactly what the term is. I, I guess I call it a bun cap. Um, but it's like, it's so precise and so tiny. It's great. It's elegant, I think. Yeah. I like and that, it. if it's along with the, the style of the cigar, which is supposed to be a little more elegant, a little more refined than a lot of their other offerings, uh, the wrapper is Sumatra, which I, nothing in the Black work or the Black, yeah, the Black Works line. I keep getting tripped up between the two. Nothing in the Black, work, black Works line has a Sumatra wrapper. Um, and I don't, I think there's one cigar in the, uh, BLTC lines that has it. Um, but there's a couple interesting things about this. The binder is Nicaraguan Habano. The filler um, is Nicaraguan and Dominican. And this is also the first time in the Blackworks lines that they've used any Dominican filler whatsoever. Um, and we're getting some compliments in the chat on our hats. Thank you. Oh, nice. Uh, Thanks. I, I dig this hat. Like, I love the guys from Ezra Zion, but it's the uh, the brass knuckles is what does it for me. I just love the look of some brass knuckles. Yeah, man. It's bad. Um, it's got the mesh in the back, right? Yeah, it's like a trucker hat. Oh, and I just ashed on my face. Um, <laughs> I grew up on the East Coast hardcore scene, which is like brass knuckles are... You don't see a lot of brass knuckles, but it was kind of a style thing back then in like the late 90s, early 2000s. I don't know why. I remember when brass knuckles used to be used for fights. Oh, yeah. Beat people up. Now it's fashion. Uh, man, there's a lot of crosstalk in the chat. But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get back to some of those comments in just a minute after I finish talking about the cigar. So uh, this is the latest limited edition from Blackwork Studios. They made 500 boxes of 20 for a total of 10,000 cigars. And it comes in either a Toro or this Lancero. Or, sorry, I think it's a, actually Corona Gorda. Yeah, I misspoke. It's Corona Gorda, 5.5 by, by 46. Um, and I didn't notice whether – I think they made uh, – 500 boxes of each size, I believe, but I, I could be wrong on that. Um, and the MSRP for both of them is 950 per stick. And so I actually, so I haven't heard officially from James where Serpents and Rainbows co comes from. Um, there's a Wes Craven movie from 1988 called The Serpent and the Rainbow. And it's about, uh, it's about a guy who, uh, he's, what is he? He's some sort of uh, researcher or something. But he ends up going to Haiti to try to figure out uh, the truth behind zombies. And it's not like the zombies like in zombie movies like Night of the Living Dead and stuff like that. It's zombies in the uh, the classic film sense, like from the, the 50s and before, where the myth was kind of that there were witch doctors that could kill a person and bring them back to life. And they become a slave. An undead yeah, slave. Yeah, old school. Old school and, voodoo. 
Yeah, so he goes to Haiti to try to discover the truth behind this voodoo because him and his company think that they can use it for medical reasons to like bring people back to life who have been killed and stuff like that. Um, and I don't want to spoil the end of the movie, but it does not go well for him. Um, a lot of real bad things happen, and it's a pretty good horror movie. It's you know directed by Wes Craven in the late '80s. How could it be bad? Um, but one of the really interesting things I watched the episode or I watched the movie about a week ago or so. And there's a like title card at the beginning. And I'm going to read the title card. It says, In the legends of voodoo, the serpent is always a symbol of the earth, and the rainbow is a symbol of heaven. Between the two, all creatures must live and die. But because he has a soul, man can be trapped in a terrible place where death is only the beginning. Um, I think that's where the in- inspiration of this comes from, but I'm not really sure. So, you know, next time I talk to James, I'll ask. But... Um, I'm I'm guessing that's where it comes from. And what do you think of the cigar so far, Dennis, now that we've been smoking it a little bit? I mean, obviously mild, right? Very noticeable. The Sumatra is right there in my face. But I really like these biscuit notes that I'm getting. It, like toasted biscuit really pops into my face. And, and I just lit the cigar, so I'm still waiting for it to develop a little bit. But I think it's yeah, nice. It's a little bready, a little bit sweet. Um, I'm trying to trying to think of the, like, I'm trying to place the sweetness. I hate to say, like, I don't know. I, I just hate saying it's sweet, it's spicy, and a little yeah. bit nutty. And, yeah. and it's like, yeah, but that doesn't really tell me much. Um, so I try to come up with, like, what it actually reminds me of a little bit. There's, like, a fruity sweetness almost. It reminds me of, like, fruit and honey for the sweetness. Oh, you know what? And then, honey, that's, that's on point, man. Yeah, it reminds me of, like, if you, uh, I don't know, it, like, if you glaze something with honey and then bake it. Like that cooked honey flavor is what it reminds me of. Mm, okay. Oh, definitely. <laughs> Chris, Chris Kelly, who's Ezra Zion, Chris Kelly, um, his comment on the biscuits is biscuits and gravy. And actually, oh, there's a little bit of that. Like, this has a little bit of that savory note. And now I want biscuits and gravy. That's all I'm going to think about the rest of the show. One of my beers tonight is as thick as gravy. <laughs> probably as, as savory, too. And speaking of beers, we should probably get on to some beers. Um, so we know you guys want a Scotch show. We're working on that. Um I don't want to throw Dennis under the bus and be like, all right, bro, go pick up nine scotches so we can do a couple of scotch shows and have him drop $1,000 on scotch. I don't want to. And, and put... spend every morning sampling scotches. Yeah, exactly. I don't Not want to put bad. you in that, in that, uh, I don't want to put you in that, uh, put that burden on you. So we're, we're taking it slow. We're building up the scotch reserve a little bit so that we have some interesting stuff. And yes, John Reiner is saying he wants to do the Scott show. Yes, you can. Oh, absolutely. Talk about that. Yeah, I think that would be really fun. It'll be a, it'll be a very long show, so we'll need to get a nice big cigar. But... Double overtime. Absolutely, <laughs> yes. let's do it. Double overtime. All right. So I'm going to talk about my first beer here because we got there's so many comments now. Like there's conversations happening, and I can't keep up with it <laughs> and talk at the same time. So I'm going to talk about my first beer instead. So my first beer is from Omegang Brewery. Um, Omegang is very popular. So I didn't know the backstory of Omegang entirely until I read about it when I was doing some research. Uh, so a company called Vanderberg and, or Vanberg and DeWolf was established in 1982 by a guy named, uh, Donald Feinberg. And he started it as an importer company for beer. Um, and they only imported Belgian style beers. They wouldn't import anything to the U S that was not Belgian style. It had to be made in Belgium or, in what they called an honorary Belgian beer brewery, um, which would be like a brewery in France or something that brews Belgian style exclusively. Um, 
And then in 1996, they got an investment from Duvel, who's a Belgian brewer, and opened the first brewer in the U.S., Omegang, dedicated to uh, Belgian beer. All of their beer was bottle-conditioned, uh, corked, and made in the Belgian styles. And a really interesting thing that I didn't know about, because I've never seen the brewery, uh, they built it as kind of a, uh, a replica, almost, of a traditional-style Belgian farmhouse which is pretty cool. And they built it on an old hop farm in just outside of Cooperstown, New York. It's actually Milford, New York, I think. Um, and then in 2003, they actually sold all of their shares to uh, Duvel. And Duvel since then has also acquired a couple of other breweries in the U.S., which aren't uh, really Belgian-specific, like Boulevard and Firestone Walker. Yeah. Uh, in 2013, they started making beers based on Game of Thrones. So what I've got here... Um, and I don't know what happened to the label on this guy. Like, it was like that when I got it. Like, somebody really wanted the EW or something. Because it looks like somebody <laughs> so just random. ripped off this little <laughs> yeah. spot. It's very strange. Um, and this is, if it'll focus, because it's kind of shiny. This camera tends to hate shiny things. And if I can figure out how cameras work, so I can get it in there front. It there we go. Three-Eyed Raven Dark Saison. Um, so this is a Dark Saison <laughs> ale. They don't really give any information on it. Um, on the website, it says that they use a, uh, actually it might say it on here. No, it doesn't. Um, but on the website, it says they use an exclusive blend of malts and, um, they, they did say specifically which hops they use. They were all, uh, European hops, of course, because even though they're doing all of these, uh, Game of Thrones beers, they're still all strictly Belgian style. So I'm going to take a couple sips of my Dark Saison and let you talk about whatever your first beer is and see how this pairs with the cigar. You know, I've I've had a couple of those um, Game of Thrones beers, even though I have I've never actually You've never watched seen Game the of Thrones. I've, I've never seen it. I'm I'm getting around to it. I'll get there eventually. They're they're like what ten seasons in or nine seasons? It's pretty far, uh, right? We've got a lot to watch. Yeah, like I think they're eight or nine now. <laughs> I'll get there. It's it's still on, right? Oh yeah. Uh, mm. The upcoming season, I believe, is their final. Okay. Uh, their final season. I'm gonna have to binge watch that. So my first beer. Um, I think is is pretty appropriate given given the, the flavors that I'm getting from the cigar for me at least. Um, Evil Twin, we've had him on the show many 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 times. Uh, you guys are probably going to get horrible glare, but basically that's the only thing you can see on the can anyway when you look at it. It's just all gold. It's called Nasty Trunks, and it is a weird style. It's a sour. Uh, it's like a farmhouse sour IPA with lactose. Wow, which is a weird. That's a really fun. weird thing. These guys don't really talk about what they use, what hops they use. Uh, all we know, essentially, is that it's sour, and obviously it's got some lactose in it. It's an IPA. This is a second release to their, um, I'm trying to, Sour Bikini, which was a pale ale. Mm -hmm. So this is a hoppier version of the Sour Bikini. If you really like that, this is killer. And pretty light. I mean, obviously, 5.5%, you're not going to get much. But because of the sourness in there, you're not going to get too much of a really dark, thick body. Um, and for those of you that don't know Evil Twin, they're kind of cool. This is uh, they're they're part of this massive revolution of phantom brewers or gypsy brewers, and uh, they you know kind of go around and they, they brew wherever. And this is actually out in uh, from Connecticut. This particular beer. Oh, okay. Do you know where yeah. in Connecticut? Which which brewery? Oh yeah. Um, New Roads. It is. Huh. Stratford. I'm trying to think. I actually I, maybe they have their own facility in Stratford now. This I don't could think be so. A new but there's a couple breweries in Stratford. I don't remember exactly who. 
Um, but I know um, they've been doing a lot of work with Westbrook as well. That's kind of oh, their that's Westbrook. been their mainstay for a while. Yeah. Um, there's some, oh, uh, so I looked up some some more information on the beer, and there's two things I forgot to mention. So the first one is this does have sugar added, which is dark candy sugar. Ooh, um, okay. The hops are Hallertau, Spalt Select, Tet- Tetanang, and Bravo. So I've only heard of Bravo before. Um, and Spalt is a strange word to find in a hop. I'm not sure what exactly that means, whether that's Spalt mm. or whether that's uh, just a hop named after Spalt for some reason. Interesting. And the malts are are carefully crafted mixture of specialty malts. They're really keeping that secretive, which is <laughs> kind of odd. Usually, either you give no information or, or you give you yeah, give all the information. full list. It doesn't matter. Um, so the thing I forgot to mention is this came out in 2015, and I bought this in 2015. So this has a couple years of age on it, and it's like it's still doing pretty good. Like Bel- Belgians are unique that way. Uh, since their bottle condition, they can kind of age way longer than a regular beer. Um, that's been what's the word, Dennis? Pasteurized? Is that what they? Is that what they do with beer? They pasteurize it? I don't know. Um, um I wouldn't necessarily say pasteurized. Uh, but it hasn't been. Um, most beers are sanitized. Um, so they basically yeah, I guess you kill the yeast when yeah. they put it in the can or the bottle, um, and then it doesn't really age further than that. It just gets old. Um, Belgians are unique because they leave all that live bacteria and stuff in there and they actually um bottle ferment which means that when it goes into the bottle there's no carbonation they add sugar and then yeah. it carbonates based on um eating that sugar which is a really I, cool dynamic and i think that's a really hard style to pull off because if you do that wrong you're going to get tons of off flavors from the yeast dying out yeah and it's hard to predict how uh how good or bad that process can go yeah. um because any contamination whatsoever of bacteria, the reason that most breweries don't do that is any weird bacteria that gets in there completely can change the flavor of the yeah. beer. And that's when uh, when you hear about like a batch of Goose Island. A couple years ago, they had a batch that was infected. When they say infected, that doesn't mean it has disease in it. It means <laughs> that that foreign bacteria that's not supposed to be there got in. And it's not necessarily going to make it bad, but it's not going to ta- make it taste yeah, the way that be weird. You may, you may get some stomach upset, but that's about it. And I think well, still to well, this date, there are great no example, known pathogens that can survive in beer. A great which example is phenomenal. of beer that's been infected, which I, I just happen to have the bottle sitting here because I leave it out here because I like looking at it, is Kaufner Tobacco. Oh, yeah, Stout. absolutely. Um, with that particular beer, they aged it with tobacco and didn't sanitize the tobacco. So they ended up getting a bunch of weird yeast in there. Now it's a sour beer. Um and that wouldn't have happened otherwise. But that's the kind of thing that most breweries absolutely do not want. Um, but anyway, the reason that I started talking about that is because when I popped the cork on this thing, it hit the ceiling. And oh, it yeah. hit like 18-foot <laughs> ceiling in my garage, uh, which is crazy. Like, it scared the crap out of me. Yeah, those things, it's amazing how resilient those bottles are, too. You know, you and the beer itself, obviously. You can let that sit for a couple of years, and it just gets better and better. Obviously, there's a cutoff, like with many things like wine as well. But those styles are just so cool for buying a couple of bottles, throwing them in the corner somewhere or a nice cool spot, and just forgetting about it. That, that's exactly what I did with this one. I, I bought it in April of 2015, which is when it came out. Um, so actually, just about three years ago. And I saved one bottle for a couple months and drank it with the premiere of Game of Thrones that year. Um, actually it might not even have been a couple months. I don't remember. They moved their premieres around so much that I have no idea when it was. Um, 
And the other bottle, I was like, oh, I'll drink this at, during the finale or something like that. Like, I'll just find a reason to drink it. Uh, and I just kept forgetting about it. Like, we moved, and I ended up, uh, like, sticking it in my liquor cabinet for a while. And then I went through looking for a scotch and was like, oh, I still have that <laughs> Surprise beer. Surprise beer. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and it just kept, that kept happening for three years. Um, but it's, like, it's still drinking great. It's got a... A subtle, like, raspberry kind of sweetness. And then, like, underlying funk of just, you know, that Belgian funk. Oh, yeah. Um, that sounds killer. And then effervescence is, like, I mean, you can see it. It's, it's like, fresh as far as the effervescence goes. Um, it can still hold a head even, which is... I'm not used to seeing that with old beer. Um, and it's not very hoppy. It's, I feel like it's actually less hoppy than most Saison's. But maybe that's just because it's the same hoppiness, but there's more roasted malt. So it's kind of uh, overpowering the hops a little bit because I don't taste much hops. But also it's three years old. I wonder if the Belgian sugar as well contributes to that, probably, as it breaks down over time. Yeah, I'm sure it does. Because um, as we know, hops hops flavors can break down fairly quickly. How's your first pairing going? It is just awesome, man. I, I've, I've had a lot of this beer. And I was really excited to try it. And, you know, with Evil Twin, it's hit or miss sometimes for a lot of people. Um, it's awesome. I really like it. It's not too sour. It's hard, you know, when you, when you tell somebody I'm drinking a sour IPA, they immediately assume it's a, a lemon-flavored IPA yeah. with tons of sourness to it. And it's it's really subtle. And I think that's why they put the lactose in to to cut that a little bit. And at 5.5%, nice. I could drink these all day. Yeah, I, I don't know if I mentioned that this one is 7.2%. Um and also another interesting thing that I just noticed on here in tiny little letters at the bottom, serve at 40 degrees Fahrenheit. I like when they include that because it's uh, it's not easy to know the correct temperature for a beer. Um, like as we talked about before, my my MO for beer is if I, I drink it as cold as I can get it and I take the first sip and decide how long I'm going to let it sit there before I drink anymore. Um and with this beer, that would be a little while. Um, so, and and John says four point four degrees science. Um, first of all, Fahrenheit is more specific because we don't have to use four point four; we can just say forty. Uh, but also, they say forty degrees Fahrenheit or five degrees Celsius is like forty-two or forty-three degrees Fahrenheit. But uh, well, there's a range. It's all good. Yeah, I guess it's a range. It's just weird that they would choose uh, those two numbers. It all gets to the same temperature when you drink it anyway, right? Mm-hmm. That's true. I'm trying to I'm I'm trying to focus on this cigar a little bit. It reminds me of another cigar, and I'm trying to figure out what it is. I think it's one of the uh one of the Tetuaje monsters, I think it was, had a Sumatra wrapper. Oh yeah. Similar to this. Mm. I I don't recall off the top of my head which one it was. Because oh, a lot man, of them remember. had different wrappers. I'm destroying um, the cigar by smoking it so fast. I gotta put it down. Hide. Yes, it was the hide. Thank you, Jose. Um, but I'm going to move on to my next pairing here. See how that does. Put back the uh, the Game of Thrones here. So my next one, I'm I'm very excited to try. So this comes to me from Modern Times. Um, which Modern Times has, like, they have a crazy story of growth. So still on their website, it says that Modern Times is a 30-barrel production facility. Uh, per, sorry, production brewery and tasting room. Uh, they were... Found, they were founded in Port Point Loma, San Diego, uh, in 2013 by Jacob McKean, who used to work for uh, Stone Brewing, who 
I mean, anybody listening to this who's ever had beer should probably know who Stone Brewing is. If you don't, I mean, get some. I don't even know what to say to you. <laughs> um, and they've expanded a lot in the last few years. So they they opened in 2013 with a 30 barrel production brewery, which um, I'm trying to think of how many barrels they could make per year with something like that. Uh, it's not very much. I think it's something like 5,000 barrels per year. Um, but they've recently opened, in the last couple of years, they've opened three new breweries. So they've now got their original brewery in San Diego. They've got a second brewery in San Diego, a brewery in L.A. And uh, just within the last few months, they opened a brewery here in Portland. Um, and so that gives me the opportunity, finally, to get in on some of their email specials. So they do a weird thing. It may not be that weird for you. It's really weird for me because I've never had to do this before. Uh, so they send you an email that's got all of the beers that they're launching and you have to pre-order them and then you go to the brewery and pick them up. Um, I've never seen that before. And it seems like that's just the way that they do things to control like lines and stuff like that. So they don't have to worry about it. I think that's it. pretty cool. Yeah, it, it definitely made it easy. Instead um, of camping I mean, for 12 hours. Yeah, because honestly for me, around here, I just don't think that would work. There's one brewery that people don't camp at, but like, you know, people will get there before they open to wait in line for whatever beer is coming out that day, which is rare for this area. I mean, most of the time, um, the beer scene here is enough that you can just walk in and get whatever you want, like the day that it comes out or something, if you're that interested in it. But anyway, uh, the Belmont Fermentorium is their new brewery here. And right now, they actually took over a... Uh, a different brewery and i think i read that they're i didn't i don't have it in my notes i thought i did um yeah i don't have it here but so they bought out another brewery basically or they're they're actually leasing the building from a brewery that closed which is a really weird situation um and i think their capacity right now is about five thousand barrels a year at this facility and it's just a tap room with a really simple kitchen they have they have all vegan food which is really weird to me for a brewery um, like they have vegan tacos and a vegan burger and interesting. Okay. I mean, it's, hey. that's cool. I've, I've heard it's really good food. I didn't have a chance to eat there the other day when I was there. Um, I just went in for a couple pints and to pick up my beer on Saturday morning, but they're planning to expand it. It's going to have, it's going to, uh, have a capacity of 20,000 barrels a year, which for them is a lot. So in 2015, their total production was 22,300 barrels, 2016, their total production was 40,000 barrels. Um, and in 2017, they want to get that up to 55,000. Or sorry, 28. That's that's, uh, that's a lot of beer. They're growing like very, very quickly. This is going to be their main brewery for the entire Northwest since it's a, a fairly large market for their beer. And it's also going to have a coffee roaster. So they're going to be making coffee uh, to put in stuff like the, uh, the City of the Dead and um, it's also going to have a cafe where you can buy coffee and it's going to have uh, like an actual restaurant and a patio, a rooftop patio. That sounds pretty cool. But right now it's it's fairly small compared to what they're planning because uh, they're kind of building out the rest of the building. Uh, a really cool thing about going there is on their beer menu, it tells you what brewery each beer was made in. This one was made in Portland. This one was made in San Diego. This one was made in L.A. It's a nice touch. Uh, it was kind of cool. And I overheard some employees who were there from San Diego and they have, I don't remember the acronym that he used, but it's, it reminded me of like 
uh, corporate beer account, CBA or something like that. Like he was like, oh, you want me to just put this on your blah, 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 your CBA or whatever it is? He's like, yeah. <laughs> and then just takes a pint and walks off with it. Which, Interesting. Uh, that sounds like a cool job perk. But on to what I'm drinking. So this is one of their new limited editions. This is a uh, it's been out two months in a row. So it was initially limited to one run. And then I guess they did another one. It's made in San Diego. It's called Dinosaur World. They don't really release much information on it. Um, and I must have not pasted my notes here. But I'll go off what I know. It's a double IPA, um, a double hazy IPA, that is. Extra uh, haze. Extra haze. Nice, man. And they don't reveal, it doesn't say what the percentage is on here. It does say it was brewed on the 20th of last month, so it's about two weeks old. Um, yeah, I got to throw it out now. I know. <laughs> that seems really old to me now. Um, as I was telling somebody the other day that, like, I can go into the grocery store and get a beer that was brewed two days ago. Sometimes the day before I pick it up, it was canned, um, which is, that's very fresh. That's and I wild. can get that grocery store. I can go yeah. and buy a frozen pizza and peanut butter sandwiches for my kids in diapers and walk out with a beer that was brewed yesterday or canned <laughs> yesterday, which it's just really cool. Um, hey, man, and, it's the future, right? Yeah, future I live is in the now. Future. And I'll, I'll hold this up. And while, I mean, it looks like orange juice. It's like That's bright. Beautiful. So I'm going to take a couple sips of this, find out the rest of the details on this dinosaur world, because I know I've got it in the tab here uh, while you talk about your next beer. And my next beer, uh, you know, I'm, I'm going to say, I'll preface this by saying that for some reason, I actually have never heard of them before. And they're not that far away. They're in downtown Jersey City. And they were founded in 2015. They're called Departed Souls. Souls as in like the soul of your shoe, not soul like, you know, I'm going to steal your soul. Yeah. Um, and I've never heard about these guys before. And, you know, apparently they're, they're, they've got a really nice market in, in Jersey and some in New York. And the beer that I'm drinking from them is this really funky like New England style IPA with a really cool can. I love this can. I, th I think it's such a clever, oh, yeah. clever design, you know, volume three. It's got some serious funk, some Comet, some Galaxy, and uh, I think it's Mosaic hops. And they use an English ale yeast for it, and they keep it nice and hazy, which it looks beautiful. You know, for an IPA, it's gorgeous. 7.4%, just totally yeah. solid beer. And it's it's different enough where it's exciting. You know, in the, in the world of today where we have so many different IPAs, we have everybody has a hazy. Everybody has a West Coast. Everybody's got all these big, fat IPAs. It's nice to see an IPA come out that's a little bit different. That, you know, in this case has a little bit different malt profile, as you saw. It's darker. And yeah. these guys are kind of cool. I didn't know this. I, doing some research on them, I found out they actually are all gluten-free. All their beers are wow. gluten-free. Which And that's know, not like the main selling point on the front of the no, can? No, not at all. That's not at all. crazy to me. And, and so that's kind of where, I guess that's where the name comes from. The guy that runs the brewery, that owns the brewery, his buddy... Um, basically could only consume gluten-free stuff, right? And he unfortunately died in a, in a car accident. And this dude was dedicated to just go out, you know, learn about beer making as much as he could. And I think he was the first person actually certified by that school to, to wow. do gluten-free beer, you know, the gluten-free beer science. He was officially certified by a beer school um, and opened up this brewery in honor of his buddy and just wanted to kind of share this whole you know, gluten-free doesn't have to be just, you know, on the front of the label for the sake of being gluten-free. It could be really high-quality beers that stand up to a lot of other big names. And I think they really hit it on the mark with that. 
That that's really interesting. We've we've got a couple of breweries here that are strictly gluten free, um, but they're known as the gluten free brewer. Yeah. Um, they, you know, that's what they advertise. It says huge letters on the front, gluten free beer. Um, I'm trying to remember what they're called. One was called Groundbreaker, uh, and there's another one that I can't remember. But it's really interesting that they're like they're not focusing on it because they want people to think about the beer. And how good it is, yeah. and then be like, "Wow, that's gluten free, dude." You know, drinking it out, I wouldn't even know if you didn't tell me. I would have no idea. Well, exactly, it's it, so it, hop forward and delicious, and the body on it is killer. Um, if you could have somebody come into a restaurant and order a steak and give them something that's vegetarian or vegan, oh yeah, and they don't know the difference, uh, it says a lot. And it's, I feel like it's the same thing with beer. Like normally, you can tell when beer is gluten free. Oh, definitely, definitely, and uh, I think that the, the part of the Obviously, departed his friend departed uh, in the souls part from the synopsis that I read. It was sort of like he wanted other people to experience what it was like in his shoes, you know, going to a party and really having to figure out, well, can I drink this? Can I not drink? This? Can I eat this? Yeah. And combine those two worlds of that kind of restriction, but also the freedom of what beer is now today. Yeah. Back in the old days, you really had two kinds of beer. It was light beer and dark beer. Yeah. And now you have all these crazy styles and all these different things going on. I think that's pretty cool. Yeah, I think so too. So, um, so I've been drinking my my hazy double here, and who somebody in the comments, I think it was Miller Man, was saying that they're struggling. Yeah, Jeremy Miller, he's struggling to get a homebrew this hazy. I wish I had some advice. I don't know how they get it like this bright orange color without adding fruit. A lot of them add lactose and fruit, and what that does is creates a better suspension. So the like the haze doesn't basically just sink to the bottom, which is what the, what normally happens, what used to happen with, you know, like a Northeast IPA five or eight years ago, it didn't look like this. It was a kind of sweeter and definitely maltier, um, IPA that wasn't filtered. It wasn't orange juice looking like this. Um, and I know that you can do it using pectin, which is why a lot of times like with strawberry or with, uh, milkshake IPAs, they'll add, fruit like strawberry, peach, mango, something like that with a lot of pectin because the pectin creates a gel that makes yeah. the the particles like stay in this suspension so they're not just floating to the bottom. Honestly? But I don't know what you can do with homebrew. You know, from my experience with homebrew, I used pectin. I had some trouble where I, I got a little bit of haze, but it wasn't, it wasn't at that level. It wasn't like, man, this looks like orange juice kind of haze. And yeah. I have a feeling that what else, the other thing that they do is um, – they're a little bit more liberal with their sort of transfers into secondary with the yeast, with the hops. They kind yeah. of really don't spend as much time clearing it out. And, of course, obviously, the other thing is it has to be pretty fresh. I think if you let that beer sit for a while, you'll yeah, notice a lot of dropout. Yeah, that's probably true. Um, I, ha I have noticed with a lot of double or, uh, with a lot of hazy IPAs, I always, have to, I always go like this oh, yeah. and just swish it around a little bit. Because you do end up, if you pour it into two glasses, which I frequently do. I drink a lot of beer with my dad. Um, you know, drink a beer, smoke a cigar, kind of like we are right now. And I'll pour one glass and then the other. And one of them is this color and the other one is slightly more clear. Um, and that's because of the, you know, it wasn't mixed up as much. Oh, Jason Myers with the, with the info. He says, Whirlpool hop additions after the boil while holding it 180 degrees. Oh, man. What makes the haze? All right. See, that's some expert. We got school. Some expert intel. Nice. See, I don't, Cheers uh, to that. I'll I drink to that. Um, but anyway, back to my beer. 
So the way they describe this is, I mean, this is all the information you have on it. One of the most beloved hazy double IPAs is making an encore appearance in this month's special release sale. For the uninitiated, this majestic beast is packed to the rafter with citra, amarillo, and mosaic hops, yielding an earth-shaking blast wave of passion fruit tangerine and stone fruit awesomeness. Um, That's a little... That's pushing it a little bit. pretty sexy. Like, yeah, they're sexing that up way too much. Oh, it's not as sexy? Um, I mean, no, it's great, but they're using way too many flowery words for this. (laughs) Um, I mean, it's not that hoppy, like... It's hoppy, but it's not that hoppy. Um, it's more of like, I mean, it, it really is like the hazy kind of hoppy, where you're getting the sweet, the fruit, the f- the kind of floral. You're not getting like that resiny, intense bitterness. Um, and if you packed it to the rafters, it would be a lot more bitter. Interesting. But um, it's so like, I love this kind of IPA. It's so sweet and like creamy. And this this doesn't even have lactose in it, as far as I know. They don't say there's lactose in it. Um, and it certainly doesn't taste like it, but it's got kind of that creamy mouthfeel. There's a lot of like peach, mango, um, and like some serious citrus, like lemony or sour orange, uh, and a little bit of grapefruit. I'm not sure how it goes with a cigar, though. I think I've been talking too much because um, now I'm realizing right now I can't remember the last time I smoked my cigar. So it might be out. <laughs> oh, there it goes. Man, you know, speaking of the cigar, I'm getting uh, this really interesting flavor of biscotti from the cigar. Like I don't that, know if you're uh, getting that. It reminds me of. So here's another thing. Like another one of those. Like it reminds me of this, where it sounds like bullshit, but it's not. Um, I'm gonna have to bleep that. Uh, it reminds me of those Biscoff cookies, the ones you get on an oh, airplane. Yeah. Um, but they're like those. Uh, I don't remember what they call them. They're like double bake biscuits or something like that, where they basically bake a cookie and then smash it and then turn that into another cookie. So it's got like that rough. Oh yeah. Um, but that's what it reminds me of, like that really rich, dark, uh, brown sugar kind of sweetness. Yeah, that's a, you're right. There's a brown sugar flavor to it. That's exactly what it is. And Jim Bean is asking if we've tried anything from Aslan Brewing. I'm not familiar no. with Aslan Brewing. I'm going to have to check them out. I don't know where they're based even. Um, but it's time for us to, we're, we're hitting the 45 minute mark. It's time for us to take our, our break here. Uh, who is this segment brought to us by Dennis? Oh, we're doing the final break, huh? Yeah. Yeah. Drew Estate, they good. Mm. Mm. Um, we got a highlighted Drew Estate cigar. Which one should we highlight this week? What about the Pappy? The Pappy. I smoked one of those over the weekend. Um, the Pappy is pretty those, groovy, man. Those are pricey, but they're so good. They're so good. Um, if you haven't smoked the Pappy Van Winkle, go check that out. No crap. Jim Bean, they're based in Herndon, Virginia. I grew up in a little town called Herndon, Virginia. Um Really? I gotta, I'll have to check them out and see if I can get some of their stuff out here. That's cool. Because um, that that's the town where I lived when I was a kid. And it looks like they're fairly close to where I used to live, which is crazy. That's awesome. Small world, huh? Yeah, really. I'm, I'm trying to find them on the map right now. I'm trying to find where they are on the map. But they're not too far from where I lived, actually, which is crazy. Um, okay, now my cigar went out. I knew, I knew it was coming. I'm surprised my cigar is still burning. I've been smoking it so fast. I'm surprised you can still taste it. That's what I'm surprised by. No, man. There's plenty of flavor. Oh, he says the Vale Brewing is great, too. Um, I've oh, had Vale. Yes. Yeah, so actually, now that I'm thinking about it, the the sweetness of the beer, like the fruity sweetness, actually goes really well with the um, the spices ramping up on the cigar, especially on the retrohale. And the, the sweetness and fruitiness of the beer goes really well with that spice 
and that like that baked cookie kind of sweetness from the cigar. I feel like they play off of each other really well. And I'll, it's about time to move on to my final pairing here, which I haven't even poured yet. I got so uh, discombobulated with those technical difficulties that I didn't even <laughs> pour this. Here. So I gotta pour myself a little nip. Uh, so the final pairing, I don't actually have a lot of notes on this. I've had it on the show before, um, but there's just not a lot of information about this one, which is Havana Club 7. I mean, we the only details they really give you, it's it's made in Cuba. It's made from sugar cane. Uh, it's seven years old, and it's 40% alcohol. That's about all the information I've got on it. Um, for that, you know, for that rum, that's pretty much all you need. It speaks for itself, yeah, exactly. I think. It's like a, I mean... Depending on what part of the world you're in, I've seen this go from anywhere from $12 to like $70, uh, which is insane. That's got to be like the biggest variance there is. Um, but I think if, if you buy this in a duty-free shop, you're probably gonna, not going to pay more than 20 bucks, if that. Yeah, like the only most. The only places you're going to pay more are really the secondary market. Um, yes, and as John says, this is industrial rum, which he's better at explaining than I am. I believe it means they press the juice out of the sugar cane and then distill or then ferment and then distill that. Um, but this is like, this is one of my favorite cheap drinking rums. Like it's the, uh, John says I was wrong about what industrial rum is. So I don't know what industrial rum is then. Um, he's explained <laughs> it before sure. and I, I never remember the difference. There's two different ones, industrial and agricultural. Um, and I just never remember which he's going to correct me in the comments here in a second. And I will read that comment, uh, because I was wrong. But Havana Club 7 is a really good, like, everyday sipping rum uh, that is not fantastic. It's not amazing. It's not going to blow your mind or anything. But it's very good, and it it managed to ha- manages to have that, like, distinct Cuban flavor that I call, like, a bitterness. Oh, yeah. uh, without, without being too rough like the cheap stuff, like the three-year is. Um, but it also, it's... It's cheap. Jerry Stash says in Mexico it's about twenty bucks, nineteen USD, which is like that. That's what this is worth. That's exactly the price range. Is like up to between twelve and twenty five is where I would say if you can get it at that price, just buy it's it. It's totally reasonable. Yeah, I, that I price point is great because the only place I can get it, obviously, um, but also it's just a really good rum and it's got like those bitter notes and that. Um, I mean, it, it sounds like it would be cliche to say it's got like tobacco flavors but it, it absolutely 100 percent does it's got like that uh sort of slightly un- under fermented like grassy tobacco flavor which i really enjoy so i'm gonna take a couple sips of it because now i've talked it up enough that i'm i'm getting real thirsty for it i'm a little nervous about my last pairing man i'm, I'm worried it <laughs> might it might overpower my uh my cigar it's uh it's it's pretty heavy this I, beer... I actually changed up my pairings a little bit i had a different some different ideas oh, you did for pairing. um but this morning when I went to take my picture, I was like, mm, no, this <laughs> this is uh, I mean, they've described this as kind of a milder cigar from them. Um, so I didn't want to go with something that was going to blow my palate out. Fair enough. I, uh, I think I should have done the same. I actually have wanted to try this. <laughs> I've had this beer for a couple of weeks now and I haven't touched it. And I've been meaning to get around to opening it. And I wanted to save it for the show. So this is another evil twin beer. The really funky label. Um, <laughs> Even more Bible Belt. Pretty cool. Pretty weird. It's got a lot of fun stuff going on. Oh, and it's um, made by Prairie? So this is a collaboration. Yeah, this is a collaboration oh. between Prairie and uh, Evil Twin. And so this basically takes 
they're even more Jesus Imperial Stout, and it combines it with the spices and the flavors of the Prairie Bomb. And it is, like, it's just wild. Especially at 13%, you're going to get a whole lot of beer for 16 ounces. Yeah. No joke. um, I'm just going to speculate a little bit here. That's not going to pair that great with this cigar. No, no, no. I'm (laughs) I'm kind of, I'm walking into it. I haven't even sipped on it yet, but I'm walking into this expecting it to be just a blowout complete. Um, And I should say, it's actually brewed with... Some pretty funky stuff, some vanilla, which is which is typical, right? Cacao nibs, um, and there's some spice to it, just a little bit. Chili pepper, spice, and yeah, tons the, uh, of coffee. Okay, yeah. So it's all all the adjuncts that they add to uh, Prairie mm-hmm. Bomb. So it's like a little bomb plus. That's and um, I like that they did that with a with a different beer. They did all the same things, but with a different beer, which is cool. Exactly, exactly, yeah. And um, this was actually it's kind of cool. This was brewed at Westbrook. Really? Of all places, yeah. Weird. So it's a it's a fun, almost like a triple collaboration project. Yeah. Which I think is pretty cool. Um, so John corrected me. So agricultural rum, I should have known this because it makes so much more sense. Agricultural rum is the one that's made from cane pressing. Um, and arguably, he says, you get more flavor ranges. Um, this, it would be made from molasses. So basically, they, they, they make molasses from the sugar cane and then turn that into rum. Um, I mean, I, I've had both and I don't notice a huge difference as far as the ones that I'm sure are agricultural and I'm the ones that I'm sure are, uh, industrial. I don't notice a huge difference, but I know this one is industrial. Um, and that may be why, like some of the other offerings from, not from Havana club, uh, man, I'm trying to remember what that agricultural one that John had was, but I don't Ron Kubai, I think it was. He'll correct me if I'm wrong, um, but it's it does have like almost a flatter flavor. It's like the difference between the flavor in a short filler cigar and a long filler cigar. Um, short filler, it's not necessarily that it's going to have less flavor, but the flavor is going to have less depth. You're going to have less yeah. layer to that flavor. It's a good way to put it. Uh, at least that's the theory. I don't know. I, I don't know if I drink enough rum, different rums to uh, to tell the difference, but I do think this is. Uh, a quality rum at a very, very reasonable price point. I mean, at that price point, if you see it, just buy a bottle. Even if you're oh. not into rum, just get it. John has actually a great point. John McTavish. I haven't mentioned his, his last oh, name. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, the seven is perfect because it's the point where you can mix it or drink it straight, which is absolutely true. This is so cheap that I don't feel bad mixing this with Coke if I feel like a, a decent uh, Cuba Libre. But at the same time, I can drink it straight, and it's delicious. Not sure how it goes with the cigar yet. How's your uh, your insane prairie bomb ish beer? Not, you know what? Not as intense as I thought it was going to be. Really? Um, for some reason, the beer is is a lot more subdued than uh, its individual parts, so to speak. It's not as in your face as even more Jesus and the prairie bomb. It's not on that level. Wow, it's a that's nice kind really of surprising. It's weird. It's like an in between. Because Prairie Bomb is one of those beers that is like over the like it overwhelms the senses. It is very overwhelming because yeah. it's so flavor. There's so many different flavors going on. It's so much of every flavor that it can really like it can. I don't know. It's weird how it can overwhelm your senses in that way, where there's just so much flavor it can overpower almost anything. Yeah, yeah. For this, it it kind of like it hits you really quick and then it lingers away. Yeah. And I'm, I'm looking at the band on this cigar because mine was just barely glued on. Um, and I'm noticing how 
So I was wondering, my thought was, I wonder if they put these bands on backwards and they accidentally folded the flap the wrong way. But if you did that, it would cover up the, the logo. So it is like a little hidden rainbow that you don't find until until you pull the label off. Unless it's like mine and the, the glue was kind of... No, mine is the same. I'm just looking at okay, mine now. So maybe it's intentional then. Maybe they want you to see that rainbow just peeking out. I think it's a really cool band. I like it a lot. Yeah. Um, black black Label and Blackworks, both. Um, their packaging is just so on point. Like, it hits me right in whatever that part of my brain that is that makes me want to buy it. And it, Jose says he normally pairs, pairs Prairie Bomb with Broadleaf or San Andreas. I completely agree. That's what yes. I do. Broadleaf and San Andreas are the only things that stand up to Prairie Bomb because it's definitely it's just got so much flavor. It's ridiculous. but this has a nice um, I, I'd say honestly it has a lingering just like imagine drinking a uh, an iced coffee just black iced coffee it's got that sort of lingering essence to it and it's really not too bad. So they must have uh, changed up the uh, the amounts a little bit the measurements. Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh John John the cigar surgeon McTavish has a great suggestion for uh, a prairie bomb pairing jacob's ladder that oh yeah pairing. all right well i'm gonna that is not for the week absolutely i think that's the, yeah. the advanced smoker pairing yeah that that beer and that cigar neither of those are for somebody who's just <laughs> getting into anything if you if you don't know what you're doing like you're gonna end up passed out in a gutter somewhere with a nicotine <laughs> hangover so i'm going back to my uh, my three-eyed raven here it smells sweeter now than it did before. And it even tastes a little sweeter. Um, this is a very sweet for a Saison. I feel like usually Saisons are kind of a, I don't know, Saison is a weird style. It's almost like a hoppy, sweet farmhouse ale. Like it's got a little bit of funk, but it's really more about hops and sweetness. This one is more sweetness than hops uh, with a underlying funk. And then like the finish is like chocolatey almost because of those dark roasted malts. That's really interesting that they went so dark with that saison. I mean, it's called a raven. Yeah, yeah, it fits absolutely fits. So at this point, I'm trying to figure out what my pairing of the night is because actually all three of these went well in different ways, better than I was expecting for sure. Um, I mean, like like I always say, I try to bring one sure thing to the table, uh, and the rest is a little experimental. I did not expect the double IPA to work. I thought it was just going to blow out the flavors of the yeah. cigar. But I'm really I'm really coming around to these. Like hazy IPAs, especially, I mean, I say hazy IPA, but uh, it's really fruity hazy IPAs, like fruity, sweet, fruit forward flavored hazy IPAs, because there are hazy IPAs out there that are just resin bombs. And yeah. a resin bomb is what like, that's what destroys a cigar. Um, if you're not familiar with like the terms, the resin is when you get that bitterness that just like fries your palate and sticks to, and you just end up with like, I don't know, like that, uh almost grassy like pine sap kind of bitterness yeah that just sticks to your palate and it stays there forever um and this kind of beer just doesn't have that it's got like sweet fruity and a little bit bitter but not overpoweringly bitter at all it might be my pairing of the night really okay i'm still thinking about mine i um i mean i'm honestly i'm leaning more toward the sour ipa i think that's mm -hmm. a really good middle ground between all the three pairings that i had that Sort really? of fits the cigar from start to finish. I, f I feel like it's very hard to find a sour that goes well with the beer. And I think it, yeah, exactly. And I, I think it works so well just because of the lactose and because it's really not that sour. Yeah. It's it's slightly tart IPA, I think, would be more appropriate. Uh, 
John's comment about the Jacob's Ladder and Prairie Bomb, it's the Olympic swimming pool of pairing. <laughs> Which, like... Uh, yes. <laughs> like, the great thing about that analogy is, like, it, it is like an Olympic swimming pool. Like, you're going to start off, and you're going to be like, this is great. And then you get a quarter of the way there, and you're like, there's no way I can do it. I can't do it. It's too much. And, and you now you have no choice. Have you got to get through it. <laughs> yeah, it's the Olympic swimming pool of pairings. Like, you don't want to mess with it unless you are 100% sure you're prepared for it. Uh, Jerry yeah. Stash wants to know how the Broadleaf Green Hornet Robusto, or sorry, the Black Label Green Hornet Robusto is. Dude, those Green Hornets are straight fire. Like, that's millennial speak, but they're very, very good. <laughs> um, and that's not even like, that's not even the kind of millennial speak that I even do, but those things are amazing. Yeah. Hashtag um, fire. Hashtag fire. You gotta have three fire emojis. Uh, <laughs> I, I just, I, I love the Green Hornet. They're very difficult to get these days. Uh, I was telling somebody at an event the other day that, like, they sell out in minutes. It's crazy. And they keep, like, the, the Cigar Federation store is the one that I keep an eye on. So, like, when I see them come in, I watch, I refresh the page and I watch them just fly off the shelf until they're out of stock. And it's incredible that after, like, two years of that cigar being out, it still sells out every time it hits the shelves. Um and it's it, that cigar is just fantastic. I love the the Pennsylvania broadleaf on that thing. All right, we're kind of coming to the end of the show. It's time to time to wrap it up. So yeah, my pairing of the night is going to be that Dinosaur World Double IPA. It uh, it doesn't fight with any of the spice of the cigar. That's what I feel like is always the problem with IPAs. Is a lot of times they cut the spice down a little bit. Yeah. Um, and they also cut down the rest of the flavors. But this one amps up the spice a little bit, and it brings out some of those more. Uh, cookie kind of like as we were talking about like the cookie sugary pastry kind of sweetness in the cigar which is uh that's like what the core of the cigar is it's it's sweet and and uh elegant and refined and it's got uh i didn't talk about this before but it's got a really clean finish like it doesn't leave anything any flavor on your tongue it it finishes very very clean any other closing comments dennis i feel like this cigar is really good for honestly just any time like you said, it's elegant, but, um, you know, it's refined in just the right way. It doesn't require too much, and it doesn't – you can kind of pair it with a lot of different things. Yeah. Like I feel you like said, with an IPA, true. with a sour, with a lot of coffee, or even by itself. Agreed. All right. Well, thanks, everybody, for watching. We really appreciate you guys out there watching. Uh, as I said, tomorrow we're going to have a recap show, kind of a recap hangout show for the uh, – Cigar March Madness. We're also going to announce the winners of our Avo contest. Um, don't worry if you don't, if you won, uh, whether you're watching the show or not, you will get an email, of course, to notify you um, how we're going to get you your prize and everything. Um, and then next week, I just found out I'm going to be out on assignment next Wednesday, so That's I will not. Right. We will not have sharing our pairings, um, but we do have a guest scheduled for uh, for Cigar Chat. I, I have some technical work to do to make sure that I can stream that from my remote location. But I think it should be no problem, even if we have to uh, kick back to, like, Google Hangouts or something. And uh, thanks, everybody. Man, John Reiner's freaking out about his guest host sharing our pairings. Um, so we do have... <laughs> Let's do I'm it. Not sure, I'm, not sure, like, I'm not sure what he's asking here. Does he want a guest host, or is he asking us to announce our guest host who's coming up? Um, so tentatively, so uh, very good friend of the show uh barry stein we're going to be pairing uh i mean we haven't even announced what the cigar is so i'm not sure 
Uh, we'll announce it. We'll announce it right now. It's my show. I can do whatever I want. Um, so on, it's tentatively scheduled for April 25th. So I do want to warn people that it could change. Um, Barry has to smoke in his yard. If it's snowing that day, I'm not going to make him go out there and, and smoke a cigar, even though it'd be very fun to watch. Uh, I feel like it, it wouldn't make as good week. Um, oh, oh, John Reiner or John McTavish, rather. I get confused because it says John Reiner. Um, he wants to maybe guest host next week. So that might be a great idea. So we'll talk about that in a few minutes because uh, I'm sure Dennis would love that if you can find something. Absolutely. Um, but anyway, April 25th, we will be sitting down with uh, our good friend Barry Stein. I love that guy. It's going to be a fun show. It's, it always ends up like... He's uh, a wild I, man. He's a wild man. I always have to yeah. light another cigar after the show because we get offline and then we just talk for like two hours. Barry's um, like a three, four cigar guy. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> but the cigar that we'll be pairing, I'm like... I'm so I'm over the moon excited about it. We are going to be pairing the Atabay Lancero, which if you watch the last time when John and I paired the Atabay, like that cigar blew our minds. I feel like half that show, we weren't even paying attention. We couldn't even think because that cigar <laughs> was so good. Um, and of course, it ended up being on our top 25. Of the year. And John's a little bit upset that he's not going to be included in this. I'm so sorry. <laughs> uh, but uh, uh, we'll figure something out. Um I'll make sure that you get to smoke one someday, at the very least. Uh, but anyway, thank you guys for watching. We appreciate you guys out there. Of course, all of our uh, viewers or all of our listeners on the Armed Forces Radio Network, we appreciate you guys out there doing things we're not built to do. And I'm just laughing at John because he's very upset right now. I'm sorry. <laughs> but, uh, if John doesn't guest host next week, it might be because he uh, just couldn't bring himself to ever smoke a cigar again after this devastating news. Uh but we may or may not be back next week. It depends on if John Reiner, sorry, John McTavish wants to McTavish, uh, that's right. Um, so I may not see you next week, but Dennis probably will. Um, but remember, here at Sharing Our Parents, our, our tagline every time, we want you to drink better, but we want you to drink less. <laughs>